Just a little warning before we begin that this series contains strong language and discussion of an adult nature, so may not be suitable for everybody. Welcome to Where Mama At in the Soul Bear Sessions series with me, Angela Smith. This series tells true life stories from extraordinary people who thrived after enduring extreme trauma and life challenges. And they're speaking out and bearing their souls, often for the very first time, to share their stories and offer hope to other people who are going through difficult situations. The special guest today, who over the next few episodes is going to be telling his incredible life story, is Terence Holloway. In fact, his story is so dramatic and so filled with incredible twists and turns that there's actually a movie being made about it. It's a story about growing up on the run from a drug gang, becoming a rap star and working with the likes of Tupac and Exhibit, looking for his homeless mother on the dangerous streets of Los Angeles, and even building an alter ego to escape his real identity after being a three-time victim of sexual abuse. Here are a few clips of what's to come in this episode. I always had a gun. <laughs> when we walked into the barbershop, uh, mind you, this is a barbershop where all the gangs come in, so it's Crips, Bloods, it's like everybody's a neutral spot, but you can get into some real serious stuff in this, in these barbershops in these areas. Uh, my name started ringing in the neighborhood, and that's when John Singleton came and looked, started looking for me, and he found me at the barbershop. We're going to talk about Crenshaw today. Tell me about Crenshaw. When I think of you, I think of Crenshaw. I feel like your self-identity is very much enmeshed with Crenshaw. It's very close to your heart. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Crenshaw. I started off on Crenshaw right after 10th grade. Um, Crenshaw is where the name, I made a name for myself. Mm -hmm. For people who are who don't know LA, just tell me what where Crenshaw is and what it symbolizes first. Um, Crenshaw is a boulevard and Crenshaw is a district. Mm -hmm. It's not a city, but it's a district. And when I say a district, it's a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, Crenshaw is famous for um, a lot of the flavor in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of music, um, a lot of style. Um, a lot of the movies that's like big movies. Mm -hmm. um, it'll go from Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society. Like a lot of the movies was portrayed in Crenshaw. Crenshaw is a street where all of Los Angeles comes to for a neutral ground and they come to kind of shine and floss in the lowriders and clothes, mm -hmm. as all the barbershops, all the beauty salons. So it's all the women getting their hair done, all the men getting their hair done, the restaurants. So it's kind of a hub of the city. Okay. And what's its relationship with South Central? Is it part of South Central or is it just adjacent to South Central? It's just adjacent. It's more west of South Central. Right. Some people say Crenshaw is South Central, part of it, but yeah. it's adjacent. It's, it's going towards the west side of Los Angeles. So is it? would you say it's true to say it's like the beating heart of African-American Los Angeles? It's where, it's where black community thrives and... and and flourishes and it's a kind of creative and artistic hub is that right um creative creative and artistic but um it's not the only place mm. so it's just more over on the west side mm -hmm. okay yeah. 
So what drove you to Crenshaw in the first place when you were around 10th grade? So you would be about 16 at this point. Yeah, a friend of mine wanted to get a haircut. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, when we go different places, a lot of people call on me to go with them to different places because I was kind of like the go-to guy to go go mm-hmm. to places. Um, because I always had a gun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we went to Crenshaw. Go, he went to go get a haircut. And um, when we walked into the barbershop, uh, mind you, this is a barbershop where all the gangs come in. So it's Crips, Bloods. It's like everybody's a neutral spot. But you can get into some real serious stuff in this in these barbershops in these areas if you're uh, a part of some bullshit, really. Mm-hmm. If you're part of the gangs and stuff like that. Me, I was more of like a player and I had weed. You know what I'm saying? I was like, you know, I hustle weed and I was more like a player, like a ladies' man. So, like, I was, I was okay to go to Crenshaw without a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, we walked into the barbershop. He starts getting a haircut. And then um, I asked one of the barbers there, can I smoke some weed? Like, where can I smoke weed? Because I didn't want to be on the street smoking. And he told me to go to the back of the barbershop. So when they finished the haircut, he came to the back and then he bought some weed from me. And um, I told him, like, I cut hair. And he was like, you can work here. And I thought that you have to work there with a license and be of age. He was like, nah, you can work here like whenever you want. You can work here as long as you pay your booth rent. How did you learn how to cut hair at 16? My dad, uh, I used to cut all the neighborhood kids' hair um, when I was in high school. And my dad was one of the people that actually taught me how to cut hair. I actually went and bought all the equipment to start working at a barbershop. Never really worked at a barbershop or nothing like that. I barely can cut hair. So I bought all the equipment, and then I started working next week. And basically, I I was working there to sell weed. I wasn't trying to cut hair too much. Like, I was working there. I was like, okay, I can make this, like, my little spot. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? I could sell weed here. And um, so uh, my first couple months, I just used to fuck people hair up. I was I was awful. <laughs> but I had a lot of weed. <laughs> <laughs> so if I mess your hair up, I can give you some weed and then have somebody else go fix your hair and then you don't have to pay. I, oh. didn't, I didn't charge nobody if I messed the hair up. Right. <laughs> yeah, like for sure. Like if you get a ball head, for sure. Like I'm getting my money. You get a ball head. It's really simple. But if mm-hmm. you're trying to get like the tapers and mm-hmm. the different kind of haircuts, I couldn't actually execute the full haircut. So I would start the haircut, and one of the barbers would finish. So I would get half the money. He would get the other half, and then I'll give him free weed. So that lasted for a minute, and then I started seeing that. Like, people from my neighborhood where I was from, like, the other part of the neighborhood, the west side of Los Angeles, a lot of people just started coming to the barbershop. They didn't care if I messed their hair up or not, but it was, like, another place that Romeo had to kick it. Mm. So it ended up a kick it spot. And then um, from then, I just really wanted to get in tune to cutting hair. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because I was, I was like, okay, I can make a lot of money. So um, I went to one of the schools around the corner. Um, and I just started practicing on dummies. I talked to a couple people um, that I would take. I would take like they would let me cut little kids' hair and old old men hair because mm-hmm. old old men don't care if you mess their hair up or not. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that, and I started getting really really good. And then I started seeing that a lot of people started coming. Like a lot of people started coming. So I was getting lines of people. So I had to figure out how can I get this money in the time in the time frame with somebody else. So my thing with cutting hair, I ended up being very, very fast and speed, like the speed and efficient haircuts. And I ended up doing very well. Wow. 
So this was, you were still renting a booth at somebody else's barbershop mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. And then um, how did you graduate to having, you ended up with your own barbershop? Um, so I ended up, I didn't get my own barbershop at this time. It was, it was, it was a partner of mine and mm-hmm. I came in with him. Okay. He got a, he got a barbershop a couple of doors away from our uh, the barbershop I was working at. So it was like it was like six barbershops on one street, mm-hmm. on one block. It was like all different barbershops. Mm-hmm. So he ended up opening up another barbershop, and he came to me because he knew that I'll be able to get his shop cracking with him. So I had the clientele and I had the people, mm-hmm. and more of like a party vibe. Like you know, what I'm saying we wanted to make like a party vibe in the barbershop. So he came to me, and so me and him went into the shop, and then he opened up a shop. And then um, he gave me like the uh, the run to go ahead and do whatever I wanted to do in the so, shop. So what did you do? Um, I made the back area instead of having a booth, I made the whole back area my area. Mm-hmm. And um, I had some painters come in. We put graffiti in there. I put a stripper pole in there. A stripper pole in a barber shop. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I put a stripper pole in the barber shop. And then um, my dad came and he made the bathroom all glass. So the, I had a bathroom for myself and it was an all glass bathroom. So I played out the whole back of the shop. And that ended up being like the after hours. So I was like, okay, all these people are coming in the daytime. Then I can make some money at night. So he gave me the AOK to actually run the barbershop through the whole night. So in the evenings, I would have like parties in the back and I have strippers come, like all my clients and... What I would do is I invite girls to the barbershop to come and you know drink and stuff like that. And then I, um, I kind of advanced from selling weed to selling ecstasy. That's the only time I sold something else. I sold ecstasy pills. And it was more for partying. And my customers would be like, oh, shit, that girl right there. And I'd be like, oh, OK, he likes the girls. So I know who likes the girls and who don't like the girls. And I have the girls coming in and partying. So I'll invite the ones that I know that's going to spend money. They can come back later on that night, and then I have the girls come and strip. And then it'll be a fee. The girls have to pay, but they actually get money. So everybody will give me a fee. Quite the entrepreneur. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. So around that time when you are in Crenshaw and you'd established yourself as a barber and the, the man, the party animal, the womanizer, the player... You also started getting involved in the hip-hop scene, um, particularly through Tupac. Tell me how that all came about. Um, my dad was a real good friend with a promoter, a Hollywood promoter. And he used to have a street team. They used to put up all the flyers and all the all the posters and stuff in the neighborhood of all the new artists. And one of the artists was actually Tupac and his group, Thug Life. He did it for, he did it for Capitol Records. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did it for Sony, like all the major record companies, and even for the radio station. Um, and my dad was a real good friend of his. Uh, so they invited me out to actually come and make some money to um, do some um, do some street team, to uh, put posters up and stuff like that. So he took a liking of me. And he asked me, did I want to do this on the road? Um, and it was a quick gig. He just asked me if I want to do this on the road. But he didn't tell me who I was doing it for. So I said yes. Um, and then we met downtown Los Angeles. And it was two big old tour buses. And one of the tour buses was the group Thug Life. The other big old bus was just a black bus. And I seen, I was like, oh shit, like this is Thug Life. Um, This is Tupac group. I walked onto the bus and then it was actually Tupac's group on the bus. Um, We went to Vegas first. And on the way to Vegas, they stopped at a store. And I seen on the bus, 
that they was all drinking. They was all drinking Hennessy in like 40 ounces. And somebody drank all the Hennessy and they was actually arguing. They was mad. So we stopped at a store. So I, 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 was, looking at, I was always looking for an opportunity and I had a lot of weed on me. So for one, I gave him some weed. And then when we stopped at the store, we went to the store and I stole a gang of liquor. And I hurry up and hop back on the bus and I gave everybody liquor. So everybody was like, oh, this 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 the guy right here. And I'm young. It's like, this the kid. And then when we stopped, Tupac got off his bus and walked on the bus that we was on. So I was sitting in the back of the bus and he walked on the bus and he was really militant at that time. They was talking about the show and talking about music. So I was in the back and just like, oh, like, oh, my God, like this is Tupac. So when he seen me, he asked them who I was and they told him what I just did. And he had grabbed me. He was like, hey, little nigga, you good with us? And then we uh, went to Vegas and I was able to actually be behind stage and everything with them. And I did their street team stuff, like I passed out flyers and stuff before they got on stage. And I did it um, when they got off the stage. They did a West Coast tour. So they went to Las Vegas and they went to Arizona. And we went to one other place. I just don't forget. I don't remember. But we went to three different cities on these two tour buses. And I did the same thing, even mm-hmm. even going to liquor stores and stealing liquor and shit like that. Like, I kind of kept that going. And then um, we got back to Los Angeles. And when we got back to Los Angeles, I felt like, okay, I want that's what I want to do. Like, what exactly? I want to rap. I want to be a rapper. Like, that's the life. That's what I want to do. Okay. So that's what got me into actually doing music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was the first step? The first step was getting into the studio. And how did you do that? With money. I had money. So we uh, got into a studio. Um, my brother worked for Ice-T at that time, so I was able to go to Ice-T studio and go to, like, big studios. I was able to kind of beat the rush. I was able to go from knowing how to rap a little bit to actually going to big major studios and being around big major artists. Mm. And then um, Ice-T group took a liking of me, and um, I did the same thing with them. Only thing, I didn't have to steal liquor because I have money now, so... <laughs> Um, I was giving them weed, I see group, I was giving them weed and shit, and they really took a liking on me, so they invited me to actually go live in New York. So I, I went to New York and lived there for maybe like six months the first time. I you know, I don't know if you say lived there for six months, but I lived there for like six months the first time, then went back and stayed there for maybe like another five months while I still had the barbershop and, and still was working at the barbershop. Wow, how were you able to keep your clientele if you disappeared for five months? They was cool with just, me. Everybody yeah. was cool with me. Everybody, okay. everybody kept my stuff. So tell me about that time in New York. What, what were you doing? I was able to see the ins and outs of the real big time music business. They had signed a big deal, multi million dollar deal with Warner Brothers Records, and I was able to see the the big studios, the big concerts, um, big videos, big budgets, the girls, the limos, like the the part of an artist that an artist really, really wants. I was able to see the, all the beginnings and, and everything about that. And, and what was your role in that whole scenario? I was I was the runner and I was a friend. They they, they all loved me. I was like the little the little youngster that everybody just gravitated to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just all loved me. You know what I'm saying? So, and then I was able to do things that other people didn't do, like, especially with the women. So like, like, the women kind of like gravitated to me, so I always had women around me. So when they were doing shows, they would under, they wouldn't understand like how this youngster got those women backstage. <laughs> Just like you know, and um, I ended up messing with Tupac's girl ex girlfriend, mm-hmm. 
And uh, we messed around for a while. And everybody was like, oh, my God, like, how did he end up messing with her? And she lived in New York, too. So um, going to New York, I would visit her and then visit them. And, you know, New York was like a real great experience for me. Mm-hmm. And then it's the Mecca for hip hop. So they was able to, they was able to take me to the first rap battle ever. They was able to take me to where Run DMC uh, did their first record. They was able to take me to the Rutgers where everybody played a basketball, like all the stuff that New York has to offer because New York started hip hop. So I was really intrigued with that. And then that solidified me with hip hop. Okay. So were you still with the mother of your, the mother to be of your kids? Were you cheating on her with Tupac's ex-girlfriend? We was on and off at that point. Uh, Yeah, we were still young. So we was on and off at that point. It wasn't like a cheating thing. We didn't really get real serious until I got back to Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So how old were you when you got back to Los Angeles? Like 19. So during this time, your relationship was developing with you, with with the your high school sweetheart. By this time, we had had our first child. And then we had another child the next year. So my kids came back to back. Mm-hmm. And right after that, um, we got married. Like that fast. It happened that fast. Kid, kid, marriage. Okay. And... We both was kind of convinced to marry each other because we had kids and her mom was religious. My people were religious. And then, you know, just to kind of do right for the kids. So we ended up tying the knot. We'll be right back continuing the conversation with Terence after these quick messages from our sponsors. From the same company that brought you this series, there are three new podcasts that we strongly recommend. The first one is a true crime series called Framed for Murder, The Case of Matthew Turner. It's a really harrowing and quite intriguing true crime series about a guy who's now 32 years old and he spent the last 14 years in prison for a crime that all the evidence suggests he did not commit. The series, available as a podcast or on video, follows his legal team as they reinvestigate the case and fight for his exoneration in real time. If you're a true crime fan, it's absolutely not to be missed. On a totally different note, we've got a podcast about online dating called Accidentally MILF, Online Dating Adventures After 50 with Angel Bliss. The podcast has already won nine awards and if you listen to it, you'll understand why. Oh my goodness, the scrapes and the stories that are told in this podcast are absolutely hilarious. It is brilliant fun and is highly, highly recommended. And for music fans everywhere, Paul Ryder, the legendary bass player of Manchester Legends Happy Mondays, who sadly passed away in July 2022. Well, he has a brand new series coming out, available as a podcast or on video called The Paul Ryder Tapes, Sex, Drugs, Happy Mondays and Me. You see, in the months leading up to his death, he sat down with me and told his whole life story in absolute depth revealing lots of secrets about Happy Mondays. And he also talks about his own drug addiction, his own struggles with mental health. And there are lots of really funny and special anecdotes and cool guests such as 
Paul Oakenfold, Peter Hook, Clint Boone and many, many other big names from the music world. So that's the Paul Ryder tapes coming soon. Please check that one out as well. Let's just wind back. Um, how did you feel when she told you that she was pregnant the first time? When she told me that she was pregnant, I was happy. Yeah. Did, yeah. Were you trying for a bit? Like, did you? No. 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 Mm -mm. So you were happy and excited. Yeah. Yeah. And were you were you happy in the relationship at that point too? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything mm -hmm. was good. You were yeah. were you living together? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you remember when the day that your son was born? Oh yeah. Tell me about that. It was just it was just like the like one of the best feelings like the best feeling both of my kids it was just like one of the best feelings uh, went to the hospital uh, water broke at home took her to the hospital uh, we stayed there for two days after the second two day days. Uh -huh. two days second day she actually had the child um, I went in there um, cut the cord held my held my son and mm. you know, how did you feel at that my moment? my dad was actually there for my son. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he couldn't make it for my... He wasn't able to make it for my daughter. My mom was there for my daughter being born. My dad was there for my son being born. Oh, your mom was there for your daughter? Uh -huh. Oh. Mm -hmm. Mom came out here. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you had your son and everything was going well and then she got pregnant again and you're having a second child. How did you feel when you found out she was pregnant the second time? Uh, it was the same feeling. It was yeah. nothing changed, same yeah. feeling. And then to have a girl that was like... Um, I felt complete, like it felt awesome. Did you know you were going to have a girl before she came out? Oh yeah, we wanted to know. Yeah. Oh yeah, we wanted to know. That's when we. That's when we got married. We got married while she was pregnant. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And did you think right? This is it for the rest of my life. Now I'm going to be with this woman until the day I die. We're going to be a happy family. Was that your intention? I don't know about happy family, but I was going to be with this woman. <laughs> I thought right. I was going to be with her until. But didn't that clash with Romeo the player? Like, how could you be Romeo the player and be married with two kids and intending to stay with someone for the rest of your life? Like, didn't that cause some sort of friction or confusion with you mentally? Yeah, it caused, it caused some confliction, but she knew what I was doing. So what did it feel like to be a father? What, what, what did that feel like inside? It was amazing feeling. Like, it was just amazing feeling that, you know, like I wouldn't let my kids go. Like. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. It was just like an overwhelming feeling. Like, it's hard to kind of explain the exact feeling, but it was just like an overwhelming feeling. Yeah. Like, I didn't let my kids go. My kids didn't have babysitters. Yeah. Yeah, my, I was the babysitter or the grandmother. My kids was at the barbershop. Hmm. Really? Were uh -huh. they partying by no, the stripper pole? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't none of that. No. Like, I was very overprotective of my kids. Right. My kids wouldn't see none of that. Yeah. And all that stuff would happen in the evenings and... and yeah times when things like that didn't happen. Yeah. And well, soon after that, you got married? Yeah, we got married. Yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. how did that feel? How What was your wedding like? <laughs> um, I got married under pressure. Mm -hmm. From who? From my ex-wife's mother and uh, like my grandparents and them, but I got married under pressure. So um, really, uh, we just went and got married. We drove by a chapel and said, come on, let's do it right there. Mm -hmm. Went and got an outfit real quick and went and got married, went and got a hotel and that was our honeymoon. Mm -hmm. 
Where did you get married? Um, it was in it was in Los Angeles, close to the LAX airport. It was a chapel that we just drove by. Oh right, it was just on spec, like it was on, on the fly, like just yeah, spontaneous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nobody that, was there. Did that feel good? No. Oh. No. So why did you do it spontaneously if that's not really what you were feeling? Because I was under pressure. Yeah. Okay. It was very serious. It was, was, was she resentful that you didn't have a, a full regular wedding? Um. No. No. Did she feel under pressure too, do you think? No, the pressure came from her also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at that time as well, as well as having two babies, your rap career started to take off. Tell me about that. Um, I ended up getting a studio and I put it in the back of the barbershop. So I bought all the equipment and I made the back of the barbershop now a studio, a recording studio also. And um, a lot of celebrities would come to the barbershop. I used to always figure things out. So the celebrities would come to the barbershop. They'll come looking for Romeo. They'll come for some weed. They'll come for some girls. So I'll put everything in one room. So I'll give a celebrity a free haircut, have girls dancing or something like that, or just have something going on for them. And I'll do that for a verse for them to hop on a song with me. And I did that to a lot of celebrities to the point where I started getting really, really good. So other people started asking me to get on records. So I've been on records with a lot of people. Uh, Aaron Hall, Bobby Valentino, Sugar Free, uh, Too Short, Count, countless records. I did a lot of records. Been on. Um, I had a lot of scores on um, film. Um, one of the biggest ones was on the movie Brothers. And then I ended up being on the West Side Connection album with Ice Cube. And that was my takeoff. Mm. That was my takeoff record. So what happened after that? After that, I was the man. I'm on the song with Cube. Mm. Um, I met Exhibit. Uh, me and Exhibit took a real liking of each other. And then... Uh, we befriended each other and ended up kind of like best friends. And I ended up working for uh, his show, Pimp My Ride. Uh, he called me one day and he was like, um, I have an MTV show and I want you to come and help me out. Mm-hmm. So from the day one of Pimp My Ride to the last day of Pimp My Ride, I was there on set and I was there with Exhibit and I worked on the show. Mm. And what did you do on the show? I was the stylist. I was one of the stylists. Right. Mm-hmm. And what did that mean to you that you were doing that job? Um, it was like dream jobs, like things I dreamed of would start happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you actually consciously manifest these things to happen? No, I didn't. Just the subconscious. Mm-hmm. But you, did you have a feeling that these good things would happen to you? No, I I knew I was going to be good or great at something, but no. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was going to be in the hip hop world, but sometimes what you think is not what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so from then working on Pimp My Ride and being with Exhibit, um, my name, I'm on the West Side Connection. I'm on a song with Ice Cube. I'm working on MTV's Pimp My Ride. Um, I'm going to all the BET Awards. Now I'm red carpet. Now it's like, now it's big time for me. And then um, my name started ringing in the neighborhood. And that's when John Singleton came and looked, started looking for me. And he found me at the barbershop. And what happened that day? The first thing I was like, all right, you don't have to pay for this haircut. You John, like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You're a legend over here. And uh, he gave me $200 for a haircut. And then I was like, oh, shit. And then he wanted me to go to his office the next day. And I went to his office. And then he showed me the script, uh, Baby Boy. Mm-hmm. And then um, 
from then he just had me around. Like he had me around. He had me going to the beach houses in Miami. He had me at the office. He had me on sets. He put me in the union. Like he just took a real liking on me. And what were you actually doing for him? What, what I was, was his friend. Right, but you you said he showed you the script. Were you a like a script consulting for him? Nope. Were you I was his friend. He seen my yeah. talent. He knew what I wanted to do. Like mm. I, he knew exactly what I wanted to do. So he was just trying to give me the game. Mm. I was his barber. Mm. That's what I was. I was his barber and his friend. Mm -hmm. And I never asked John for nothing. And that was one of the things that he gravitated to me because I was one of the people that didn't ask him for shit. Mm. So he liked that. He liked the fact that I just wanted to grind and just wanted to learn about things. And mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. you know. And he had you on the sets of some of his movies as well, didn't he? Tell me about that. Yeah, he had me on the sets of... Fast and Furious. He had me on the set of Baby Boy. He had me on the set of Hustle and Flow. Mm. Um, uh, he put me in Baby Boy. Um, so that's what got me in the union in SAG. Um, and then we partied. Like, we partied. Mm. John was a party man. Like, I party with him. What was he like? John was really, really cool and down to earth. Like, like he, he was really, really down to earth. Mm -hmm. Like, somebody that you can talk to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. John was really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Something happened on Thanksgiving in the barber shop that kind of changed the course of your life. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, so I was with Exhibit, and then we did Thanksgiving at his house. Um, he invited my family, which is my ex-wife and my kids, and his family was there. And we did um, like a real big Thanksgiving dinner. And then um, me and my ex-wife wasn't together at that time but we was together you know on and off type mm -hmm. of thing so my ex-wife left and then exhibit dropped me off at the barbershop um he wouldn't go through the front because he didn't want everybody to see the car you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. know where he was at so he dropped me off in the back of the barbershop so you were staying in the barbershop at this point mm -hmm. yeah i was staying in the barbershop so i walked around to the front of the barbershop and it's usually a gate you have to open up the gate and open up the door the gate was open so um, I unlocked the door and went to where my back area is. And I seen bullet holes on my door. And um, so I opened up the door and the bullet holes, it directed from the door to the couch where everybody be chilling at and where I actually be sleeping at. So it was bullet holes on my couch where I'd be sleeping at. And um, if I was in the shop, then I would have been shot. So if you hadn't been at Exhibit's house for Thanksgiving, you might not have been here now. Yeah, yeah. And how did that make you feel? Um, I was hurt. I was hurt by the people. Um, I got too big for some of the people there. Mm. And the old man told me that too. Like I used to clean the streets and it was this one old man that used to clean one side of Crenshaw and I cleaned one side early in the morning before everybody get there and I bleached mm. the floors. Like I was one I was one person that's really about my neighborhood. Mm. Um, and I just get everything ready. I have incense all the way up and down the street. It smelled good. Like mm -hmm. it looked good. Like I had a kind of feeling, you know what I'm saying? An old man told me, he was like, you got too big for the street and you got to watch yourself. And I was like, what you mean? And he gave me something else. He was like, you are the color on the street. Without you, it's going to be black and white. That's a good, that's a good And I never forget that. Yeah. And it ended up turning black and white when I left. I left that yeah. day. So what I did is I went to the paint shop and I painted over all the graffiti, like all like my 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 uh my room was really hooked up. Mm -hmm. It had graffiti, it had Playboy rabbits, it was pink, it had mm -hmm. a picture of me on there. Mm -hmm. So I painted over there, and I painted over the bullet holes with red, 
And I put, God bless this mess, and I never went back. Wow. Mm-hmm. Did you take your stuff with you, or did you leave everything? I left everything but my computers and shit. You took your studio stuff? Then? Uh-huh, but yeah. everything else I left. Yeah. yeah. And what about the owner of the building? Did you tell them what had happened? Yeah, we talked that night. I had to call him there. Because mm. I went to figure out who did it. What did I found say? out who did it. Oh, did you? Uh-huh, we found out who did it. They apologized, and they gave a, a bullshit-ass excuse. And what was their excuse? Said they dropped the gun and the gun went off. Uh, it was like, how you, how the fuck are you going to have bullet holes in these kind of areas? Like, if you, we did the whole, we did, we, it's like we investigated everything. And then the owner of the shop, like, he, he really helped me investigate this shit. And he, he didn't want me to leave, but he understood it. And it was mm. just like, this might happen to me. And, that, you know, they know everybody on Crenshaw knew that I had a pistol and I always carried a pistol. So I wasn't scared of the people. I wouldn't use it. It wasn't like I flashed, but everybody knew that I had a pistol. So it would have it would have been a shootout. I would have either been in jail or they would have shot me. So you moved to the valley then with Exhibit? Yes, so yes. Um, when that happened, I talked to Exhibit about what was going on. Exhibit was like, get out of there. And he was, Exhibit was like, I'm going to help you out. So Exhibit got me in an apartment and he got a barbershop and then he let me run the barbershop. So I ended up in the valley with a, a real, real nice barbershop, like the step up. In the valley? Mm-hmm. Which part of the valley? North Hollywood? North Hollywood. And you lived at the, you lived in a separate place, or you lived at the barbershop? No, I lived um, one block over. I had a nice apartment, a nice two bedroom apartment, and real, real, real nice barbershop. And exhibit set me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you had a really close friendship with him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk more about that? No. No. Because okay. it ended up, it ended up really foul, and I don't understand what happened. So. Mm. I don't really know, but we was really, really close. Like exhibit, like when you see exhibit, you see me. Mm. He will always come pick me up. We always go to things like, like yeah. yeah. Do you still have a lot of love for him? Yeah, yeah, because the help that he gave me, like mm. for sure, like he didn't have to do that, and I don't know where I would be. Mm. Um, I still went through other things, but I still I don't know where I would be if he didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So for sure. Okay. Yeah. So you got a new barber shop. Um, and celebrities started coming to you in North Hollywood, and you had a stripper pole at that one as well, did you? Set no. Up- so um, when Exhibit opened up the barbershop, um, I was one of the main people that ran the barbershop for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Exhibit to have a barbershop, it's North Hollywood, it's one of the nicest barbershops, so all the celebrities was coming to that barbershop. Mm. Um, basketball players, football players, uh, artists, hip hop artists, movie stars. Um, it was like a real, real pop and barbershop, and I was mm. making a lot, a lot of money at that shop. Mm-hmm. And um, the barbers wasn't making a lot of money. Um, at this point, I'm really fast. I'm efficient. I'm really good. Everybody's coming to see Romeo, so I was making a lot, a lot of money at that barbershop. So. Um, that's one of the reasons where, like, like if a barber didn't have the money for the rent, then I'll pay for it. Um, and I'd do that for anybody in there just to keep the money up and keep everything kind of going right. And then um, something happened with Exhibit and somebody else um, that he that worked with us. And I don't know what happened. I'm still I still don't know what happened. But he came to the barbershop one day. He called me and said, have everybody come to the barbershop. And then I had everybody come to the barbershop, and it was on a Sunday. And he just walked in the barbershop. He was like, I'm closing it down tomorrow. And then as he's talking, 
the bodyguards is coming in and then the people are changing the lock. So he had already everything set up. So everybody kind of left the barbershop like upset. Everybody lost their job and without a notice. So mm-hmm. I sat in the barbershop and I'm asking him like, what's going on? And he's like, you too. And then that's when I didn't understand it. I'm like, me too, what? And he was like, um, the shop is closed. It's over. You got to go too. And it was just like a totally different exhibit. And um, one of my friends, that's a, that's a, that's a, a pimp, came and saved my day. Yeah, why? Uh-huh. What happened? He went and bought a barbershop across the street. And was just like, here, I don't want you to go through this shit and bought a barbershop for me. That's when I made the stripper pole. That's when I had the pool table. And that's when I like turned it up myself. Right. Yeah, that's how that happened. Wow. So one day you're in your barbershop and you get a phone call that really does change the course of your life. And I think we'll save that for the next episode, shall we? Like, oh, I mean, yeah. All right, we'll, we'll, all right, let me just do a tease. So you get a phone call and who is it on the phone? It's my mama. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll pick that up in the next episode because that is some phone call. Yeah, that is it was. a phone call. Yeah. All right, thank you for talking to us and we'll be back next time. On the next episode, Terence continues his incredible life story. She told me if it's God's will, let it be. So I'm like screaming like, Mom, you need to get out of there. And then she said no. So I said, where are you at right now? And she said that she was actually in the closet and um, water was filling up the closet. Mm-hmm. She goes in her purse, literally pulls out a Bible and then hits the man in the head with her Bible. And I step in between, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And she was like, I'm gonna beat him with the word of God. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Please visit our website at wheremamaat.com or soulbearsessions.com where you'll find links to all of our socials as well as information about resources that might be useful to you if some of the things that we've talked about today have resonated with you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd really appreciate a review and please tell your friends about the series and help spread the message that no matter how grim a situation may seem, there are others who have gone through something similar and have made it through. Thank you so much for listening. It really, really means the world to us and we look forward to having you with us again next time. Have a great day and thank you. This series was brought to you by Glistening Productions. It was produced by Angela Smith. Associate producer was Sarah Walters. Editing was by Terence Holloway and Richard Hayward. Cameras by Richard Venti. Sound recording was by Marty Black. And the executive producers are Angela Smith and M. Jacoby. Glistening Productions.